Well, good morning and happy Valentine's Day. How many of you guys are lucky enough to be with your Valentine in the room worshiping today? Congratulations, I can feel the love in the air. Not really. (laughs) Um, Little history for you as we get uh, going this morning. Did you know that Valentine's Day actually started off as a pagan holiday uh, well before even the Roman Empire? It's believed that uh, they would sacrifice goats and dogs and then anoint themselves with this blood, uh, get drunk, run around naked and smack each other with the dead carcasses and skins that they had and uh, fornicate until they passed out. So uh, happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) In the fifth century, Pope Galatius actually comes along. He didn't actually like the sacrificing and the blood and the nakedness. And so they put an end to all that. And uh, they actually made it a day to remember a guy by the name of Valentine who was actually uh, killed by the Roman government. Uh, and I think uh, fifth, uh, uh, in the third century uh, AD, um, and uh, they just wanted to sainthood him and celebrate his life. And then uh, thereafter, several years of uh, writing maybe in some poems and some short stories and yada, yada, yada. Several years pass by. Hamlet is written by Shakespeare and boom, Valentine's Day is about romantic love. And so that uh, was turned around in American history, essentially, because there were some good businessmen who saw an opportunity to make some money. There was a company in the early 1900s called Hallmark, started creating these cards and uh, started to advertise to um, people about these cards. And that turned into chocolate, which turned into uh, roses and flowers, which turned into you and I unsuccessfully finding a halfway decent restaurant to eat at, followed by buying your wife some flowers at a gas station. (laughs) And here's a gift card to Victoria's Secret, the gift that truly keeps on giving. Am I right? Seriously, don't do that. Bad idea. (laughs) So it's funny because America, once again, successfully finds a way to make money and finds a way to uh, twist and change a holiday and make it really all about buying stuff. I mean, that's what we're really good at. And, and, and it actually kind of reveals our heart. It kind of actually reveals what we really love. We love stuff. And to get stuff, you have to make money. And so then we start to twist and move our life around money so that we can get more stuff. And so today on Valentine's Day, I think it's appropriate for us to step back and to actually ask the question, what do we truly love? Do we really love the Lord? Do you, do you really love your spouse, your girlfriend, whatever? Or is your Valentine today really money? Because it's what's captured your heart. It's what really dictates why you get up in the morning and go to work and why you work so hard. Because you're, you're intentional about making more of it so that you can get more stuff. And, and, and so we rack up the, the bills and we rack up the credit card debt because of this hole that is inside of our heart, trying to feel something, trying to feel successful, trying to feel important, trying to have fun at the extent of disgracing the God that we say we love. And so today we wanna ask that question, what is your real Valentine today. And I want to start in 1 Timothy 6 to really set the stage uh, for where we're at. 
uh, Paul tells Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know this. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So two things right off the back. It's not money, money is not the issue. It's the love of that money. And when we have this love of money, two things happen. The first thing that happens is we wander away from our faith and we have many pains in our life. So how many right off the bat today would say, I would love to walk away from my faith and have a lot of pain? Nobody's signing up for that deal, are we? We don't want pain and we definitely don't want to walk away from our faith, but, but, but we're learning here in that verse that the root of evil is this love of money. And so when we talk about the root of something, we're really talking about this under layer, what, what Jesus would call our heart, the very center of our thoughts, our motives, our actions, it comes out of our heart. So if we love money, it is a heart issue. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is gonna be. So we need to do some work on our heart today on Valentine's Day. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter five. We're in a sermon series working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we're gonna pick up where we left off last week. As you get there, we need to be reminded of this, that where your heart is today and what your heart loves the most today is actually gonna determine the life that you live. So if you love money, you'll give the majority of your time to making money or spending money. You'll talk about it all the time. You'll brag about it. And so if that is part of your daily routine, then you might be in love with money today. And what we're gonna learn, what I hope I get to teach you today, is that if you love money, you will actually enjoy nothing in life. Or you could love God first and then you'll enjoy everything. And so the choice is up to us and we're gonna start in Ecclesiastes 5, beginning in verse eight today. He says this, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official, the government officials essentially, is watched by a higher and they are yet higher ones over them. Watching means these higher officials, these government officials are watching over the commoners to see how they can take advantage of them or it could mean that they're watching out for each other. So as, as uh, government officials, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And so they're watching out for one another. Either way, it is an injustice. Verse nine, but this is gain for land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. And so uh, as we look at this, I'll summarize this first point here in these first few verses with this statement. Do not be surprised when governments abuse power. Now, some of you are like, well, duh, I've known that one. But isn't it good to know that's a biblical uh, teaching? <laughs> it, it, it's biblical for us to understand this. And so I think the idea of justice is, is something that is in every single one of our hearts. We love this idea, but we often look to the wrong authority. We love the idea of helping the poor, 
but then we depend on the wrong solutions to help them or we just want other people to help them. Let's just give money towards it and set up some kind of system where they get money. That way I don't have to deal with it. But the Bible clearly teaches us that government is not the solution. The gospel is and God's church is. And so as much as everyone today thinks that the government should be doing more to solve poverty, should be doing more to address social justice issues, Solomon says there will always be people in government. There will always be people in leadership that will abuse the poor and that will abuse the common people for their own good. Politicians say, vote for me. I'll give you money. I'll take care of you. I'm going to change the world. And then we uh, naively vote for them. And then four years later, we're still in poverty and nothing has changed. Solomon is saying, don't let this surprise you. And so the, the result of that should be instead of us looking for the government to solve our problems, We need to be looking at the gospel and recognizing that a new president, a better governor or whatever is always going to fall short in some way. The real need for America today, the real need for every nation all over the world today is the hope of the gospel. We need revival. The church needs to not only know the gospel, but believe it so much so that it has changed our life and that it would lead us to talk about it with our friends. What a great idea. That we would share the death, burial and resurrection story with our loved ones and our friends and our coworkers, right? At the expense of being ridiculed. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. And when the Holy Spirit of God revives you and me and we share the gospel and we invite people to church, this good news will radically change lives. Marriages will be healed. Financial struggles will be lifted. Why? Because in Jesus, we find the answers. And so that's, that's essentially what's gonna work. No government official is gonna change anything God has instituted the church to be the change. And by the way, we're waiting for a new administration. And that new administration is found in Luke 1 where it says, and the promise is given to us, that a child has been born. A son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. That's our hope, right? That's what we lean into when we can have Jesus as king, as governor, as president over our kingdom, over his kingdom, right? That's what we long for. And so we don't look to government to solve these issues. We look to God's people and the hope of the gospel, right? So now let's keep going because he's not done. Like I love to start with that, don't you? All those stinking politicians, man, they just love money and they're abusing me. But now he turns it personally (laughs) and he goes into this personal address that is gonna hit me and every single one of us right in the heart. Verse 10, he says, he who loves money will never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? 
Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. If you're taking notes, you might jot this down. If you love money, you will never be satisfied. You might be in love with money today. And if you are in love with money, it will never be enough. You will always want more. And so he warns us on a national scale here, but now bringing it to a personal level that every single one of us needs to address that we might be suffering the same temptation. And essentially he's saying that the more you have, the less satisfied you will become if you are looking to money to satisfy you. No matter how much money you have, if you love it, it'll never be enough. Money can't buy love, it can't buy joy, it can't buy happiness, we know this. If you listen to country music, you know Drew Green, he wrote a song called A Little More. And the chorus goes like this, I won't sing it, but he says, I'm a simple man and I don't need a lot. I'm good right here with what I got, but a little more, a little more, a little more would be all right. (laughs) And you know, I think it's easy for even Christians to adapt this mentality that, oh, we're thankful, God, for what you've given to us, but a little more would be all right. I just wish I had a little more. And it sounds okay to say a little more, but you know what the Bible calls wishing for more? Coveting. When we covet, thou shalt not covet, when we covet, we are saying, what you have given to me, God, is not enough, and we want more, we desire more, and the hope for us is that if we have more, then we would be happy. Then we would have our problems solved, but at the end of the day, what that mentality brings is more anxiety, more pain, more more suffering and disappointment, because we never have enough. If I could just get that, and if I could just get a little bit more, if I got that raise, then we'd be able to get that. But then boom, we buy a nicer car, or kids get older, we gotta buy them a car, and then we're all even Steven again. Or we spend money that we don't have, and so then our credit card debt keeps you know, escalating, and now we live with the frustration of debt, we live with the guilt of debt, and Solomon is saying that living for the things that money can buy is vanity. It's like chasing the wind. You will never be satisfied. If your heart or your heart will never be satisfied with that next box that comes from Amazon. That little hit of dopamine hits as soon as the guy in the, in the brown truck shows up and the box is there and it's like, woohoo, I forgot what I bought, what I got, what I get. It's like it's Christmas every, every day. But what do we do? It's like a new rug this week. You know, next week it's a new outfit. Then we need a new car. Now we need more pets, right? Let's get another dog. Why? Because we can't be content with what we have. We always need something else. And Solomon says it's vanity. And you've got to fight that temptation Here's a few reasons why we've got to fight that temptation. He says in verse 11, having money is going to cost money. Now we know this. The minute you get some money and you have to buy, or you don't have to, but you decide to buy a car, you got to put gas in it. You got to get insurance for it. You got to pay taxes on it, right? Having money costs money. 
If you, if, you, if you have a lot of property and a lot of you know, um, you know, things to manage, you've got to hire people to take care of the grounds and you need you know, a stockbroker to tell you where to put it and you need accountants to do your taxes. And it's like when you have money, you've got to pay people around you to take care of it. And I think his point here in, in, in verse 11 is that when you have money, it draws a crowd of, 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 of people that want to spend that money. All of a sudden you have you know, family members showing up at your door and if you've got kids, you know they're at your door. Dad, I need some money to go do whatever, right? And so he says, what good is it you know, that I watch all these people spending my money? And obviously the rhetorical question is, it's no good. It's not helpful. You know, I'm, I'm watching other people take advantage of it and they're gonna use it and it's going to cost me money. So having money costs money and then I think B, he says money is stressful. Look at verse 12 again, money's stressful. The laborer has this sweet sleep going on, but the rich, uh, if we love money, then sleep might be hard to come by. Now, why? Well, if you're stressed about money all the time, it's gonna be hard to sleep. Why? Because you're, 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 you know, you're rehearsing your, your bottom line, the spreadsheets and the profit loss and uh, profit versus you know, income versus expenses versus all these other things and how can I get more and how can I pay these people? And it's stressful, right? It's stressful thinking through that. And then at the same time, uh, the wealthier you are, the, maybe the, the, the fattier and the richer the food that you're able to eat. If your diet is spicy food and red meat and red wine, maybe that indigestion keeps you up at night. I think physically what he's speaking of is the fact that when you have a rich diet, you're eating a lot of these foods and they can, they can mess with your sleep. You're not sleeping well. But the laborer, he works hard all day and uh, you know, he's not worried about the expense report and he you know, has exhausted himself from the hard work. He's not worried about all that stuff and his diet isn't rich fatty foods and so he sleeps well. But money can be stressful and if you're in love with money today, I can promise you that you're gonna be stressed about it. Let's keep reading in verse 13. He continues. He says, there's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture and, and he is a father of a son and he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hands. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. So if you're taking notes, boil this thought down to this. If you're selfish with money, it'll hurt you. If you're selfish with money, it'll hurt you. He says in verse 13 that this man kept all of it for himself. He kept all of it for himself selfishly and it wound up hurting him. See, I think in the Bible, it teaches us that God, uh, that we are to give God what he deserves. But the issue and problem with so many of us is that we choose not to or we say we can't give to God because we've already given ourselves what we don't deserve. And so why will this hurt us? Where is the pain? And, and, and some of us are experiencing it today, but what is it? He says, you can lose it fast in verses 13 and 14. You can lose it fast. That's why it hurts. 
This man, he gives the illustration of this father. He thought he would keep it all to himself, which makes sense, doesn't it? If I wanna be wealthy, I gotta keep it all. You don't get rich by giving it away, right? We all think that. We've, we've thought of that. And so that this man, he thought I'll just keep it all, you know? But he lost it in an investment, which can happen to any of us, no matter how safe we think it is. You know, we, we've got a 401k, you're investing in stocks. You've got you know, real estate happening but we've seen the stock market crash. We've seen 2008, the housing market crash. We've seen a global pandemic hit the world and we know we're reminded of how fragile the system is. And this man, the the reason why it's so damaging is, is that he had a son and he wanted to be able to leave his son some money, right? This is a good thing for us. Proverbs uh, 13, teaches us this is a good and right thing to leave some type of inheritance for our kids. And, and so he wanted to do that, but the investment lost everything. And so I think we have to understand what Solomon is saying. If you aren't generous with your wealth, it doesn't mean you're gonna get to keep it all. It can be lost really quickly. It can be lost really easily. Money is here one day and then boom, it's gone the next. The second thing I think teaches us this is in verse 15 and 17. He says, money disappears at death, right? Naked you came into the world, naked you leave the world is what he's saying. We, we, we read that, uh, have read that in the book of Job as well. And we know this to be true. You don't get to take any of your wealth with you. It's here one day, it's gone the next. And when we die, we don't get to take any money with us. Now, I've been in ministry for over 21 years now and I've sat beside many people who are in their final days on their, death, on their deathbed. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I, I've never heard a man or a woman who's about to die uh, talk about you know, opening up the Amazon app to see what the hot deals are today. I've never, never heard any of them talk about the clothing that's in their closet or the cars or the houses that they've bought. You know what they're thinking about in those closing moments? They're thinking about, did I make a difference in my life? They're thinking about, are the people that I love with me right now? And they're thinking about, where am I gonna go after I die? But doesn't it make sense if those are gonna be the thoughts that we are having in the closing days, hours of our life? Doesn't it make sense for us to today not assume that that day is, you know, 70 years from now, not not make the mistake of making that assumption? Shouldn't we wrestle with that question today? Am I making a difference? Am I being generous with the people that I love? Am Am I managing the wealth that God has given to me well so that in those final days, the people that I love will be there because I've been generous. I've invested into their life and I'll know where I'm going. I won't have to stress about that at all and we'll know that we made a difference. See, if you're selfish with money, it's gonna hurt you and it will hurt you the most when your life is near the end. It'll, It'll wreck you like a wrecking ball. So don't wait until that moment. Don't wait until it's too late. If you're a dad and you have kids, make sure you have life insurance. 
Make sure your wife is taken care of and your kids are taken care of. Spend that money to, to make sure that that is there. Make sure that you set them up for success. Make, make sure that you're taking care of those needs and not just spending every last penny and dime on fun things and, 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 and things that aren't going to last for them. If you're not generous in your life, at the end of it, it'll hit you like a ton of bricks, but it'll be too late. He keeps going. Let's jump down to chapter six. We're gonna come back up to chapter five in just a second. In chapter six, verse one, he says, there's an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. This is a big one, essentially. This is a heavy burden, he says. A man to whom God gives wealth and possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. He's saying God gives wealth and God's, God gave a man wealth and possession and honor, but God is also in control of who actually has the ability to enjoy it. And the great tragedy he's saying is that you can have all the money, all the power, all the possessions, everybody in your neighborhood and around town thinks that you have it all, but if God has not given, given you the power to enjoy it, he says it's a grievous evil. And then listen to this. If a man fathers a hundred children, which would have been like, oh, this dude is super blessed that he has so many children and possessions and money. He lives many years. He, he, he was old, huge blessing, right? So that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. And in darkness, its name is covered. Think about the comparison and the imagery he's given us. He's saying that you can have all the money in the world. You can be a millionaire. You can be a billionaire. You can have all these possessions. You can have power. But if God has not given you the ability to enjoy him, you are better off not even living. You are better off not even being born. That's a stark contrast here. And so the point I think that he makes is that money is a gift from God and so is the ability to enjoy it. So let's not rush past this, that, that money is a gift from God. Again, money is a great thing. God isn't saying that money is evil. In fact, God is the one who makes us have the wealth and the money that we have. And so sometimes you go to work and you're living in culture and in culture you might get criticized for not having you know, a certain standard of living. You don't have a nice this or a nice that. And so culture criticizes you. But as Christians, you come into Christian circles and sometimes if you have stuff, you feel guilty because people criticize you for having stuff. And so Christians struggle and we're tempted and we're, we're kind of, you know, going back and forth on this. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And I think we have to be reminded that wealth and power is given to us by God. And so don't be jealous, don't be envious, but celebrate remembering that Solomon himself was wealthy. And he's not saying that wealth is sinful. He's not saying that wealthy people are sinful. He's not saying that poor people are righteous. In fact, you can be very poor and very evil. So it's not about how much we have and not what we've bought. It's all a matter of our hearts. And he's saying God gives the ability 
to give wealth and he gives the ability to enjoy it. So God's gonna make some wealthy and allow you to enjoy it. And the only way though that you will enjoy it is if you put him first, if you honor him first. That ability to enjoy it doesn't come from the things that money has actually allowed you to buy. Remember, money can be fun, right? You can do fun things with it, but fun doesn't last in your heart. Fun doesn't leave a legacy. Fun doesn't mean you're a good steward with your money. We're not after fun. We're after leaving a legacy and making a difference. And we're after our heavenly father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're after. At least that's what we should all be reminded that we should be after. And so this ability to enjoy money is also the ability not to covet and wish for more. Instead, we enjoy God and we depend on him, not on the things that he gives, but we can buy things, we can enjoy things only if we first put God in his rightful place in our heart. I think the person who is truly blessed is the one who knows God, the one who's given their life to Jesus and has a genuine relationship with the Lord. And when material things come your way, you can rightly enjoy them without coveting for more, without being jealous for more. So whatever true enjoyment you experience in life will be God-centered because there is no joy in any part of life if he's not in the center of it. And that's why we long for more. That's why we're not satisfied. If we're not enjoying life, if we're not enjoying work, if we're not enjoying our paycheck, then in our hearts, we have not found contentment in who we are in Christ and we've not found contentment in who God has made us to be. And so we wrestle with that and we struggle with that in prayer and with reading the word. And we are faithful to give because listen, if we're not giving, that means that we don't believe that the gift giver will continue to give us gifts. I'm not gonna be generous if I believe that the gift giver is not gonna continue to give me gifts, which is insane, isn't it? The God of the universe, all good gifts come from above, come from him, he owns it all. He's the one that has given us all things. And if we think that if we give a portion to him, he's not going to provide, that is a faith issue, right? The gift giver is gonna continue to give us gifts as we are faithful. So I don't know who struggles with this today, I don't know your heart. You, we don't know each other's hearts at all, but I do know as Americans, we're gonna wrestle with this. And some in the room today have a money problem and you need to admit that money problem. You need to admit that it's your true Valentine and maybe you're hoping money will make you feel successful. You're hoping money will uh, bring that happiness. You're hoping more of it will solve certain problems. And Solomon is saying, it's a lie. It won't. And so what's the answer? The answer is found, let's go back up to chapter five, verse 18. He says, behold, what I have seen to be good, what I've seen to be fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the work, all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. 
for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Man, how about some of that, right? Can you keep me occupied, not with worrying about work and problems and issue? God, could you occupy my mind with joy that you have given in my heart? I think it's uh, easy for us to live a life of discontentment, but he's essentially telling us to accept our lot, work hard, find enjoyment in our wealth and with what God has given to us. And so if you are wealthy, enjoy it, right? Put God first, have fun with it. Acknowledge that he is in control of all things and, and know that every good and perfect gift comes from him. He alone is the giver of wealth, possessions, and the ability to enjoy it. So we honor him first, we worship him first. In fact, Jesus tells us to do this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all of these things will be added unto you. Seek him, seek righteousness first and foremost, right? We resist that temptation. And in your heart, you resist that temptation that says, I just need a little bit more. We see it as a lie because it is. Joy can't be found in the things that we buy. It can only be found in the relationship that we have with Jesus. It's the only way we enjoy it. It's the only way we can experience it. And the people who I think enjoy life the most are those who are serving him, worshiping him and content with what he has given them. That doesn't mean we work hard. Doesn't mean that, you know, we're, you know, pursuing advancement. Doesn't mean that, you know, uh, getting a raise is evil. No, all those things are great and wonderful and good. And we receive that as God's blessing, but we are not driven by it in our heart. We haven't trusted in it to bring us joy and happiness. And we're not longing for more of it every second of the day. At the end of your life, you won't care about how much money you have. You'll care how much money you've given away. Because life isn't about what you get, it's about what you've given. Jesus warned us in Luke 12, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, right? So we trust him, we honor him. I love what Hebrews says in chapter 13, by the way, we don't know who the author is of Hebrews, but here is what is written in verse five, kind of sums up the whole day. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How can we be content? We're content because we know that Christ is never gonna leave us. He's never gonna forsake us. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me. So we don't love money. We don't depend on money. We seek God, we trust God, and we use money to glorify him. We use money to be generous towards him. And yeah, we enjoy what he's given us. And that's not a bad thing, but we don't let it drive us, right? So here's the bottom line today. If you love money, you'll enjoy nothing. Love money, enjoy nothing. Or love God first and enjoy everything. Enjoy everything. I think the whole book of Ecclesiastes is really summed up with this. See, you love God first and you'll enjoy everything. But if you love money, if you love filling in the blank more than him, then you won't enjoy anything in your life. 
It'll constantly be a rat race. It'll constantly be stressful and anxious and, 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 and just worked up and you won't sleep well. You won't be spiritually healthy. You won't be physically healthy. Love money and enjoy nothing. Love God, enjoy everything. In 2017, there was a movie that came out with Mark Wahlberg called All the Money in the World. And it was a story, a true story of John Paul Getty, who was the wealthiest man in the world. He was a billionaire. At that time, he was the richest man in the world. Oil was where he made all of his money. And his grandson was kidnapped and held hostage. And they uh, gave her, or, uh, they, they offered the ransom and the grandfather wouldn't pay the ransom. And so the movie is about, you know, this mom who is trying to convince the grandfather to pay the ransom. And Wahlberg is this investigator trying to do the same. And, and there was a, a moment, kind of the climax of the movie where he's having this intense conversation with Getty. And, and uh, they had just, the, 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 those that had kidnapped, the kidnappers actually cut off the kid's ear and sent it to uh, the family. So they opened up this box and there's the kid's ear. And so Wahlberg is like, you know, he's, he's like, JP, man, you have got to pay this ransom. If you don't pay this ransom, they're gonna kill your grandson. And JP says, I don't have enough money to spare. And Wahlberg says, you're the richest man in the world. How much more money do you need? And JP says, more. I need more. It doesn't matter if you make $50,000 a year or $50 million a year. Solomon is saying, if you love money, you will never be satisfied by it. And you're always gonna want and need a little bit more. And that is the trap. It's the trap that every man and woman in this room have to avoid that desire to be rich. You'll never have enough. You'll always want more. And so the cure is to love Jesus first, seek him first. And the second part of that cure is to be generous. If you are generous and if you give, that is the antidote for the selfish, discontent, envious life that money grows in each of our heart. So last week, I introduced the 90 day challenge. And so when, when I read the New Testament, I believe that God asked us to give a percentage to him faithfully. And uh, so I've been doing that. I've been giving 10% uh, for a long time. It was easier when I was younger and we didn't have a lot of money and, and now it's different. And so it's, uh, you know, so, some people as you get older, you, you have kids and bills. And so you're, you're giving changes and, and uh, we, we begin to kind of become inward focus if we're not careful. And, if we love money, it's really easy to say, well, I can't give to God because I have X, Y, and Z to take care of. And, and so I think part of the culture has infected our church. It's infected our, our hearts. And Solomon would say the, the trail that each of us are on, if we love money, is gonna lead to pain. It's gonna lead to destruction. It's gonna lead to regret. And so if you're not a giver, I just wanna encourage you to take this challenge to, to step into the freedom of what generosity could do in your heart. And, and simply, it just means that for the next 90 days, you're gonna give a percentage to the church and you're gonna give it to God and you're gonna say, God, I'm trusting you to take care of me. And, and you know what? At the end of that 90 days, if you say, man, I've got this bill and I, I've got to pay this and I don't have any money to, we'll, we'll give it back to you because it's not about numbers. It's an opportunity. It's a way for us just to try to help you 
allow God to change that heart and begin to experience the joy of generosity. I think if Solomon were here today, as wealthy as he was, he would say some of us are chasing after the wind and you're wasting your life. And maybe today you'll take a a step in the right direction. Let me ask you to bow your heads. When we look at the word of God, sometimes it's easy for us to walk away and be encouraged. And then there are days we walk away from the word and we recognize that we've, we've got some things that we need to address. Sometimes that brings guilt, frustration. The goal is not guilt, the goal is freedom. And so how can we get you to that place? And so don't let Satan rob this moment from you and make you just beat yourself up. That's not the point. The point is, how do you get to this place of freedom financially? Maybe for you, it would be that you need to take the the Financial Peace University course and just learn some practical steps on, on how to not only get out of debt, but how to build wealth because that's, that's like week eight and, eight and nine. A lot of people, week one and two, they're, you know, wow, oh, man, this is, this is good, but they miss week eight, week nine, which actually tells you how to invest. So maybe that's a step that you would take. For others, maybe it's the step of, I just need to make a commitment to give and I'm just gonna trust God. I'm gonna trust God. For others of you, he might say, it's, you gotta sell something. You gotta sell something. Who cares what you drive? Who, 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 why, why do we care about? Listen, whatever God just puts on your heart, just be faithful to that. Keep in mind the idea of chasing after the wind. Don't chase wind, you're never gonna catch it. Seek Jesus first. Father, whew, your word is truth. Sometimes it's difficult. And as a Christian in America, we're, we're just tempted a lot, Lord. And you know that. And you know that we're constantly facing this and struggling with this. And I'm not perfect. And I have my fair share of failures, Lord. But we wanna walk in your truth and grace. We wanna enjoy what you've given us. We also wanna be faithful to what you've given us. And so help us to walk in that truth and in that light. We love you today. And I pray for those in the room who are making commitments. May you give them the strength. Would you bless them as a result? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.